I find it a little difficult to say what the subject matter is going to be because it's too fundamental to give it a title. I'm going to talk about what there is. See, I'm a philosopher and I'm not going to argue very much because if you don't argue with me, I don't know what I think. So if we argue, I say thank you because though going to the courtesy of your taking a different point of view, I understand what I mean. Hello and welcome to The Last Turtle Podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Jason Lang, who is a good friend and one of my favorite thinkers, as you'll hear very soon. He has a podcast called Do the Evolution, which is about film, technology, and transformation. And I highly recommend it. This conversation today is a sort of crossover episode and has appeared on that podcast as well. And while you're checking that out, I recommend checking out Jason's previous podcast that he did with Stan James, uh, on which I appeared a couple of times, called The Seventh Kingdom. That one is no longer running, but the archive episodes of that podcast um, are fantastic, and I highly recommend them as well. I'll put links in the show notes. So Jason and I went to the IMAX VR experience in Los Angeles and uh, had an interesting uh, experience over there, and afterwards we had a conversation and recorded it about what we thought, the good, the bad, the room for improvement, and everything in between. And uh, without further ado, let's dive into the conversation. So yesterday, we checked out the IMAX VR experience here in Los Angeles. Yeah, it was very, very cool. It was very exciting. I've been, since they came out with it, and I was intrigued because I love IMAX just as a format for movies and it's one of the most immersive uh, experiences that you can find for type of uh, that type of entertainment and when they said we're doing a local VR and it's in LA I was like okay now we have something to to check out and yeah it was something I hadn't even heard of till you uh, pointed it out and I was like oh cool that sounds incredibly fun and I guess the first thing we can talk about is actually just the experience of going there. Um, yeah. Because I think they're maybe the first place that's trying to do like a commercial installation in that sense that I know of even. I think it's the only dedicated VR arcade or, or place that I know of just at all. I'm sure they exist elsewhere, but I didn't even hear of any particular one other than ones in development like The Void, which we can get into a bit later yeah and they so even just part of our experience started with like buying tickets which was actually a little confusing oh yeah because <laughs> <laughs> they were kind of still sticking to the film model um of like here's all the showings and then you like book a ticket per showing but each game or experience is a different length so it's a little confusing to know like how uh, how soon after one should I book the other and can multiple people do it at the same time? And it took us a while to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure they're still figuring out themselves or what the best format is. Um, but of course, you know, it, it is IMAX and they're coming from, you know, um, the format of, of movies and movie theaters. And perhaps it does make sense if you consider that, you know, if there's a lot of demand and they don't want to create lines and people just standing there and waiting and, trying to get the next slot or something like that, maybe this is a decent way to structure it. But it definitely made made it very difficult to figure out how to buy tickets. If I'm just buying for myself and it's just one experience, I see when it's available and I book it and that's easy enough. But most of those experiences are 5 to 15 minutes. Um, and so it would be rare to try just one thing and it wasn't very clear how to structure it. And again, as soon as I, we wanted to go together and just two people, and do we need to buy the tickets together? You can't even add to cart multiple tickets and multiple time slots. Uh, that got complicated, and that was kind of a bummer. That was, uh, I think, still need to be tweaked and improved. Um, so right off the bat, I was a little thrown off by that experience, and it was hard to get a reach, uh, to get a hold of them and get some kind of advice. But we ended up, accidentally i think picking a good strategy which is just book the first experience and take it from there which um worked pretty well 
because we we went at a pretty low um, impact time. Like it wasn't that busy. So there were just tons of open slots all the time. So it was actually easy. We were almost booking them in real time where we'd like do one, then come out and book the next one. Um, but I could see if it was like really busy, it would be a madhouse. Uh, and it seems like just a UX thing they could do where it's like as soon as you add one to the cart, it should show then you could do these next. And it would just be like a, a walk. And then you book that one and be like, oh, then these would be available after that. And you could just book like five at once, which would be super easy. That's brilliant. Let the system figure out the timing by what you booked, how long the experience is. And of course, they when they finally got back to me in email, they said, oh, there's a, a certain uh, most experiences are 15 minutes, but there's a little bit of setup and introduction. So take 30 minutes. If you feed all that info into the system, let the system suggest what next is both available and the next good slot to book it. And you just add that to cart and you can set up an hour, an hour and a half of three to four experiences or more. That would be, that's a great idea, actually. Yeah, I think it'd be awesome. Um, so there's that, which was annoying. But then the actual experience of entering the space, I actually thought was pretty cool. Like it felt it felt boutique in the in the best sense of the word. Like, um, you know, we have done the Vive at some people's houses, which works great. But there, you know, there are certain like how far is the monitor away and how long is the cord and like bumping into parts of the room. And they basically tried to remove, I feel like, as much of the friction from just like the technical parts of it as possible right now. Yeah, definitely. And leave it to, leave it to IMAX to create a space that's just like sexy, semi-futuristic, you know, a really pleasant place to be in for people interested in sort of cutting edge technology. And so just to paint the scene, uh, there's like kind of the ticket counter and then there's like a little waiting area. Um, and then they come out and they're like, Hey, who has tickets for this? And they walk you inside and then inside it's actually just one giant room that's kind of subdivided into all these small cubicles, I guess you could call them with some like common area in the middle. And each cubicle kind of has its four walls, which correspond to the, like the Vive grid of how far you can kind of like walk around and then they have the headset, the controllers, in some places even a vest and a gun kind of attached to the wall. And then all the cords are actually fed up into the ceiling and they kind of have them on these rails to theoretically kind of keep it, keep you from tripping on them. Yeah, that was relatively well done in terms of the cord setup. And even each little like sort of wide cubicle had a pattern on the floor that's indicating the grid in which you can sort of walk in, which you will see virtually inside the experience. But also, just as you walk into that space, you get to see where you can actually hang out in there. And it was just a pleasant space, I guess is the other thing I'll say. It was just like, it felt it felt good. They had cool lighting. It was the kind of place where I was like, yeah, I could hang out in here. It felt like a unique, um, interesting environment. Yeah, add a bar and I'm good to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it's really well designed. And again, adding the factor of um, the people who guide you in and help you set up the equipment on your head and the sub pack on your, on your back and all the integrations or whatever the gun and some of the experiences or the, the controllers uh, really made it easy and straightforward and it makes perfect sense for people who go there and never had any VR experience before. Absolutely, because even and even in this scenario, there's still like a learning curve. It was just 100% clear, even with VR, that there's like, okay, how do I hold the thing and where do I put it on and then what do I do? Like there wasn't a level of just like super intuitive, I think, for any of the games we played, really. Yeah. And one of them uh, even had, because the controllers are different from experience to experience, we had anywhere from the um, the Vive, just a handheld uh, controller that comes with the Vive, the, the Steam made. And there was one with the gun, of course, for the John Wick experience, which is a different system altogether. I forgot its name, unfortunately. Um, and then for the first experience we did with the Eagle Flight, we had a Xbox controller. And it was interesting to see people who probably have never played any video games, period. And they're like, oh, I'm supposed to remember the this button and that button. And of course, the yeah. controller has like, I don't know, eight buttons on it or more. Um, so that, that was the first thing I thought too. And our first experience was Eagle Flight, which was the one co cooperative game we played, which we'll get into. But um, 
yeah, the, I think two of the women that were playing with us had just never played video games before. And just as she was even explaining like the amount of triggers and buttons, I was like, oh yeah, that must be kind of intimidating if you're not comfortable with a controller like that. Sure. Um, yeah, and and I think they managed to, considering all that, reduce the amount of friction as much as possible. Um, and again, even the people who are standing next to you and continually guiding you as you're playing the experience if you need it. So with Eagle Flight, the thing that triggers people um, is the thing about turning by tilting your head as opposed to looking left. Um, and that really is important. And she, the person even guiding us was saying, I'm going to keep telling you this as you play because people, it's hard to kind of yeah. digest that uh, just as a general command because our instinct is to turn turn our heads to turn left or right. Yeah, and that uh, I think that's a good spot to just jump into like, so what did we actually do there? And I think they had maybe, they had about maybe 10 different um, experiences you could do, it felt like, maybe eight to 10. Yeah, there were at least uh, t 10 pods or more, but um, some double pods for the same experience so people can do them simultaneously. And I think I think I played maybe five and you did four, I think. Yes. And the first thing that was striking to me is that, and I just, I think may have misunderstood coming in there, is that I thought IMAX developed their own VR headset. I was actually sure of that because in their posters, there's the uh, headset of the other company, not the Vive, I will look it up and put it in the show notes. But I think it was like Star VR or Star something. Star VR, yes, yeah, something like that. And there are more, their expertise is more the kind of spacing of where you are or the object that you're holding, like the gun in the shooting game. Um, they have like 10, 10 sensors as opposed to just four with the Vive. Um, but the, so the fact that they didn't have their own um, uh, headset, which is interesting because what, end, what ended up being the case is integration of multiple devices and multiple uh, sort of integrations and that they are, that IMAX is looking into doing, providing people with a VR experience without even producing any of the devices or the content as far as I can tell. And that's the other thing I wanted to get into, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, and of note, so we played a Vive, we played the Star VR uh, no rifts, no Oculus rifts present in the building. Um, yeah, which is interesting to note. I'm wondering if that is because the Vive and Star VR allows for a movement kind of experience. It's more about the sensors and space. I don't know. Again, I don't believe Oculus uh, has any of that quite yet. I'm sure they're working on it. I don't believe so either. Yeah, I don't know if that's in the pipeline or not. Um, but yeah, so our first game. Eagle Flight. Yeah. Paint, paint a picture for us. Right. So um, this was interesting because I thought, um, looking at the information on the website, I thought this is just some kind of, you get the experience of flying as an eagle, which would be cool. But then it turns out to be a multiplayer and you can you can play sort of together in the same team or one versus the other, up to six players. And it's a capture the flag with only one flag and one base. And you basically have to catch the rabbit, fly up, go back to your nest, and drop it in. While at the same time, you can, for eagles, somehow can shoot at one another or, uh, or block. And we were divided up to two teams and uh, had two rounds uh, to play. And it was actually awesome. I really enjoyed it. It took a little bit of time to get the hang of it because you're, again, speeding up or slowing down with the remote, but turning by tilting your head left and right um, and up and down is the direction you're going. Uh, what, what, what was your experience of it? Yeah, definitely. I think, I think we played three rounds and it wasn't until towards the end of the first round that I felt like, Oh, I kind of get, yeah, I get how to fully enjoy this experience now. Um, cause it with like the shooting and the shields at first, I was like, not quite sure how to use it. But then as I realized like, Oh, it's actually pretty easy to shoot someone. Um, it like their targeting system is fairly forgiving, mm -hmm. I would guess I could say. Yeah. But what the cool thing about that is then it, it actually matters to like fly erratically <laughs> Yeah. in the sense of like, so the stage was like, I, I don't know, some time period Paris. And so there were like bridges and aqueducts and like buildings and trees you could go under and over and around. So to like, once you actually get the bunny or the flag, it's 
pretty challenging to just do a straight flight back to the nest. You're like almost guaranteed to be hit by someone. Yep. So then it became a matter of like, oh, actually I have to like go down to the ground, kind of follow the creek and then like bob up and weave up and down to make it harder for people to shoot me. And that's when I started to have a lot of fun. Yeah, and made the game a lot more interesting, a lot more intricate. Uh, you have to sort of ramp up your ability and control in the game itself. But you also suddenly find little nooks and crannies in the scene. You suddenly I got into this tunnel or there is like these passageways under in between buildings and uh, it makes the game a lot more fun and a lot more interesting where you don't just try to shoot straight forward and back to the target and only if someone can catch you they will take you down they can actually shoot you down from anywhere they can see you uh, and then you had to really um, play it up as they say and that was and again, once again, because it was our first experience, the first thing that was striking to me as I put the headset on and looked at the environment, because we've both played in, uh, in the Vive in VR uh, a couple of times before, just how quickly you feel in the environment. Yeah. That was once again striking. And because uh, in this game, at the very least, there was a really good job done with the environment itself, um, that just really takes you in uh, quickly. Yeah, it was a good blend of um, it wasn't trying to be like photorealistic. It like it had a slight cartoony vibe, but enough that it actually felt like being it was cool. It was a good blend of like pushing the technology to where it could go without trying too hard, I would say. Um, and I think the thing that struck me most about that game was that was one where the mechanics just felt like they worked uh, in terms of basically the way it worked is the headset itself um kind of controlled your direction so you would you would look up and down to go up and down and then you would tilt your head kind of like left ear to left shoulder right ear to right shoulder to to turn and then you could kind of be looking around somewhat in between but then the actual like motion was kind of controlled by the joystick um, right trigger would speed you up left trigger would slow you down and then there were the the buttons for shooting and the controller aimed i think it aimed your targeting rectangle right um yeah i don't well, remember actually the controller like so no no you're wh wherever you're looking i think is where the aim okay is. so were we even using the the left and right stick no it's nope. interesting i didn't nope. even it's how intuitive it became <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it was impressive as um it did take us like the it did, it, it, me as well it took me the first round to feel like i'm getting the hang of it and after that it felt so natural very quickly really uh, that that was impressive. And to note, in this one, we were actually just sitting in chairs. So there's no moving around the room at all. This was, we are actually static, and the motion is just coming from within the game. Yeah, which is pretty, uh, I think, a smart idea for a game where you have to tilt your head all the way left and right, and you feel like you've, you're moving and flying relatively uh, relatively well, so that's uh, that can throw you off if you're not uh, secure to a chair. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like a super fast paced flying. I mean, there was definitely some speed, but I, I personally didn't have any kind of motion sickness or any of the stuff they talk about, um, felt very natural and easy. I felt like I could have played for probably another 20 minutes, 30 minutes easily. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Easily. For sure. Um, I, I think just the first time around where I was flying as fast as I can and needed to slow down before I'm hitting a building and you still get the sort of little jar of like whoa i need to watch out after that it sort of i got my pace in and it it felt solid so definitely a thumbs up i think from both of us for eagle flight for sure 100 percent. and the, the multiplayer aspect of it adds so much i think uh we were on opposing teams yeah, totally it was great <laughs> we, we got slaughtered by you guys especially one that was just killing everybody left and right uh, but it, it made it so much fun. Yeah, I definitely laughed a good amount of times playing that game. <laughs> yeah, what did we uh, what did we do next? Then we moved on to what I thought was going to be like the flagship experience, and was like, okay, this is probably the one that's getting butts in the seats, so to speak, out here. And that was um, S Star Wars: Trials of Tatooine. Yes. Um, which man, it wasn't that good. No, and, and I, I, it took me um, a few hours after we left. It's, it was finally I realized how all of the following experiences felt, and you can maybe 
distinguish the walk uh, when we get to it because I haven't tried that one. But they all, other than Eagle uh, Flight, they all felt like a demo for a longer game that I didn't get to play. Mm, yeah, totally. They were like a five to ten minute demos of like, here's a preview, a sneak peek at something that's coming out. And it wasn't an actual like game in and of itself, really. Yes. That's what it, that's what it felt and like. And Tatooine, I would definitely say, was that experience. Um, I think the thing that bummed me out the most about Tatooine was... When you and I first met years ago at the VR LA Expo, one of my favorite demos was a very basic lightsaber one, which you were just standing in a hall. And this didn't actually add anything over that experience other than maybe some more significant visuals. Right. Because the environment, as soon as you start, um, you get the, the, the usual Star Wars scroll and then you're in you know in Tatooine and the environment looks beautiful and i thought oh great this is going to be like one of those really unique kind of i'm there on the planet experiences but very quickly the the mini story sort of starts and most of what you do is just stand and listen and look you press a few buttons and then there's the, like the lightsaber defense kind of thing which wasn't even as smooth or even as long or interactive as the previous one we've we've done with yeah. the, with the with a, a Oculus uh you know developer kit 2 or something like a very <laughs> it's like 2 3 years ago uh it wasn't even as good as that and that was about it yeah that was one where i definitely felt the limitation i feel like of what they can do right now um so you know they they tried to mix in they had like someone someone's voice impersonating Harrison Ford, which was a stretch to begin with. They had the music, but then, um, you know, even the title, maybe this is part of a longer game coming out, like Trials of Tatooine. But it was like, just, I, I thought like when that finished, I was like, cool, okay, now we're going to do something else. And it was just like, Credits. no, that was it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what? Uh, and basically the problem being like a ship lands and then because of the kind of setup of, you know, this problem they have in the game right now where it feels best when you're physically moving around immersively, but you can only move around so far, you know, in a, what is it, like 10 feet by 10 feet or something like that grid. Right. So it's kind of like stuck in one spot and then you have a lightsaber and you're just deflecting blasters. Like, there just wasn't much to do. Right, right. Uh, it was very minimal and, again, very little movement like it looks like open space and it was inviting to move around and try stuff but i knew i couldn't really go anywhere uh and was even afraid to kind of move a little towards what i was supposed to move towards um the sort of part of the ship that comes down that you have to try to help fix um so it was very disappointing um it's somewhat cool looking but uh if this is a demo for a longer game I'm intrigued, but not not very hopeful quite yet. Um, but uh, again, uh, something I wanted to say about how it ties into the IMAX, you know, arcade VR experience. Um, if you're paying about ten dollars per experience, and you get like this five minute of a glimpse of a something, not to compare it to a two and a half hour movie. I know the economies of scale. You can't put like fifty to a hundred people in in an auditorium, and they all get to spend the same time um, multiplied by the amount of people so you have to charge differently for it but it still didn't didn't feel like it's it's worth the expense and if you want to do four or five you know uh, experiences in a row you end up at a 50 bucks that's a different story um, yeah definitely it, for what we paid that one was not my favorite and I think I had higher expectations because it's like a Lucas arts and they're kind of you know known for creating these special experiences but it just didn't feel all that great now granted maybe had we never played the other game and had the experience of holding a lightsaber in vr it might have been better but it was just even the like the coding just felt a little clunky in terms of like the responsiveness of deflecting the things it all just felt a little off in my mind right Almost the the, the the my favorite part about that experience was activating the lightsaber and watching it, yeah. <laughs> you know, really feeling for a moment of being a Jedi in training and waving it around before I was supposed to actually hit the uh, the laser shots. Um, that was kind of fun, but that was just about it. Yeah, 
Exactly. I think the only other moment that stood out to me was when the ship first landed. I did notice I wanted to duck. I just instinctively yeah. was kind of like... <laughs> yeah. I'm like, uh, am I supposed to move backwards? Yeah. This feels a little close and right above me. I wasn't sure. Um, so my thought would be if you've played one before, like one of the Star Wars samplers, you can skip this one. If not, it is cool to hold a lightsaber once. Sure. For somebody who'd never even experienced VR, it would be something um, impressive uh, to a certain degree, although there are more impressive experiences. But yeah, that's a good way to, to lay it out. Um, after that, we went to the knockout. No, we had uh, John Wick. Yes. I th- Am I skipping over something? No, I think we just went to John Wick after that. Yeah. Yeah, and John Wick had the Star VR headset, which is interesting. It's kind of uh, not as tall from bottom to top, it feels, like the viewport, but it's wider left and right. It even looks like this sort of triangle hat put on your on your face. Yeah, I found it... Um, what I liked about the Star VR headset was it, it definitely seemed to me to have a noticeably wider field of view, meaning it I did not feel the edges as much, which even on the Vive, it's it's pretty noticeable. It like it still feels like a window on your face. Um, like you can you can feel the edge very clearly. Which is a little disappointing actually to me that that's still the case this close in. But they had the cool gun, and this was probably um most reminded me of just the old school arcade shooters. Um, where you'd have the two guns in the arcade and you're shooting and we were joking about how, yeah, you know, it was funny. Even then I would notice I would dodge and like try to crouch a little bit just instinctively. And in this game, it actually matters. Yeah. It, uh, remind me, I'm trying to remember the name, uh, something time. There's a arcade time crisis, time crisis. Yes. Thank you. That was my favorite game. One of my favorite games at actual arcades where you, press on the foot or actually duck uh, in some of the cases and sort of bring have a particular movement of the gun in order to reload, either shoot at the corner of the screen or pull it down, and that had the same mechanism for reloading. And so it was very natural to keep doing the same kind of thing. We're, we're used to it. And in that respect, it was kind of fun and um, cool. I, I felt the resolution wasn't as sharp. Um, maybe my... The, 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 the headset itself felt very close to my eyes and I think it may be not perfectly calibrated. But the thing that stuck out the most to me about this experience is that it wasn't related at all to John Wick. Like you could call this shoot him up and I wouldn't, couldn't tell the difference. And for an IMAX experience uh, or IMAX arcade, uh, to have a lot of titles that relate to movies. So you had The Walk, and we'll get to that. You had um, John Wick and Star Wars. I think they used to have another Star Wars experience. And um, in a bunch, I know there are more movies coming up for in some experience for VR. They seem very unrelated or minimally related um, to the movies. So John Wick was, other than mentioning his name and you're shooting at people, wasn't very John Wicky for me. What do you think? I haven't seen either of the movies, so I can't even say. Like, I don't even know if that was a, an attempt at a recreation of a scene or if they literally just kind of made something up and added his name. It felt made up. Yeah, which you would you would think at least Star Wars tried to be Tatooine, like a space we know, because it's fun to explore a space you've seen on screen before, but in VR. Um, and what I will say about John Wick was, like, I actually got a little tired playing that one physically like because I had to crouch and I I did find it easier to like actually crouch down and duck up and um, it was the same thing where you're kind of just stuck in one space on top of a building Um, which like still what I don't quite get is how they're going to string these experiences into something bigger in terms of a game like demos make sense when you're just in one spot but like when you can't walk you know a few of the Vive games we've played have the portal function where you like jump through space um, but I'm still very curious as to like what the, I guess, gaming aesthetic and kinesthetic of the, the like best way to play these games, what's going to emerge. Cause it is, you know, we don't have full tactile bodily integration yet. And one thing I noticed with John Wick that was somewhat annoying and frustrating, but like, I don't know how else they do it 
is sometimes it was very hard to tell where people were shooting me from. So they would have to give me audio cues on the screen, like to the left, to the left, to the left, because there was like, there's no way to feel that you're getting, you know, hit from the left, I guess, which maybe that approximates real warfare for all I know. You're kind of confused and don't really know where things are coming from, but it was kind of annoying. A few times I died just because I didn't know where I was being hit from. <laughs> yeah, it's a little weird because it still it seemed to have still the visual where the sort of red flash appears in an area that's supposed to indicate where it's coming from, but it didn't seem to match anything. So I was just frantically looking around trying not to die and realize where uh, I'm actually being shot at. And combined with the fact that it the resolution wasn't so high and most of your enemies were pretty far away on another roof's building or just at the edge of your uh, building's roof, you couldn't really see where they are. Um, that was a bit of a bummer. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, I, I haven't played the latest generation of consoles like Xbox One, PlayStation 4, um, let alone the newer versions of those that are coming out. So in my mind, pretty much all the games we've played, they actually feel like well-done Xbox 360 games. Like that generation, like in terms of texture fidelity and polygon and draw distance, which that in itself is kind of disappointing to me too. I don't know if they're just not pushing bigger hardware for these or if it's a limitation of the resolution of the goggles still, but it, it feels like the games themselves are somewhat technically frozen in time. Like there wasn't any visual that just made me go like, wow, that looks yeah, impressive. You know, it was more like, oh yeah, this looks like a game from six or seven years ago. Yeah, totally. It's funny because all of these experiences have been reflected to me in the mirror of Tilt Brush, which we had, uh, which we played elsewhere. Uh, not they, they, I think they actually technically have Tilt Brush in the VR sampler yes. in, at IMAX, which we didn't uh, try because most of those uh, we've tried elsewhere. But Tilt Brush is still not only experience-wise one of the most fun and engaging and addicting and marvelous technodelic experience <laughs> in VR, uh, it was the most, um, the most visually appealing that I've tried so far. Yeah, it felt like it was trying to do something unique and not just rehash. Um, you know, there was that problem with like the, the first multimedia boom in the 90s where it was like games just tried to be movies. And it feels like a lot of these experiences are just VR trying to be games like Xbox 360 kind of games, whereas Tilt Brush actually felt like, oh no, this is new. This is a new art form experience therapy that I've never experienced anywhere else. Yeah. And uh, I think, I, I mean, I was trying to give all of these companies, um, both on the uh, hardware side and the, the games or software side, the benefit of the doubt of maybe trying to just get something out to be available on launch or close to it. Or being able, or just using existing, uh, you know, existing material that they have um, in in gaming engine from previous games or something like that to be able to put something out. And it might take longer to build something from scratch that really fits the medium while still trying to figure out how the medium is supposed to go or what can you really do uniquely in this medium. So remains to be seen. But you're right. A lot of them do feel like Xbox ports of sort. Totally. And so then we want John Wick, I would say, if you've never played a shoot 'em up in VR, definitely worth it. Because you are holding a gun and, it, you know, it gives it a tactile kind of sense of, oh, this is what this type of game is like in this environment, which does have some fun, you know, to it. It is kind of cool. Yeah. And the gun is built per the game. In the game, it looks exactly the same. So it really kind of feels like you're holding it. And that adds to the experience. Absolutely. Um, so I'd give that a, a tepid thumbs up. Yeah, that sounds about <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and then we both went over and played, I think, Knockout Punch or some generic sounding boxing game. <laughs> yeah. Which I was actually pretty excited about because they had the rumble vest. Um, and, you know, for as cheesy as it was, I do remember really enjoying Wii Boxing back in like... 2007 or 8 or whenever that came out and like physically getting tired and feeling like it was pretty fun uh but man this i did not like this one at all yeah this uh uh interestingly enough it was also tiring 
in a different way from John Wick, just probably because of the movement and you know the way you're holding uh, the controllers versus the gun. Um, and uh, but I was sweating at the end of it, which is kind of nice. Okay, the the contrast of playing video games and not moving much, and this is actually active. But the game itself wasn't. Um, the movements didn't really match what I was seeing, and I couldn't understand. It didn't flow. Uh, it wasn't intuitive. It was very kind of confusing in that sense. Yeah, they were still they were trying to teach the difference between like dodging, blocking, and even some third thing. So it was like just confusing to me, not knowing when to block and when to dodge, and like they didn't teach it in the game, which I found kind of frustrating, like in an intuitive way, I guess I should say. And then yeah, the the timing of everything just kind of felt off, and like how close I even felt to the other boxer, like I, it always felt just a little not quite right. Yeah. Yeah, if you are punching and your brain is sure that you are close enough to hit and it just doesn't really swing anywhere near, then something something in your mind just says this isn't quite right. I'm not not quite sure where I'm supposed to stand and it takes you out of the experience once again. Yeah, it shattered the whole illusion, I would say. And then I guess you know what strikes me now, the other thing about that game that's interesting is um despite all the VR and interactivity, they were still relying on this very old Nintendo Mike Tyson punch out mechanic of like timing. Right. Which I guess I get, but now what I'm realizing is like that itself made it feel more gamey than real, as opposed to having some kind of deeper AI thing where like I, it didn't actually feel like I was boxing someone. Let me put it that way. Like that my hit would hit in, unless it was exactly timed. It didn't matter when I hit someone. Exactly. And worse, I also felt like I could cheat in terms of, you know, if I notice what kind of punch it's going to be, I can move way early and stay there and he wouldn't adjust and actually hit me. And I was like, okay, so am I just sort of checking boxes, following the lead of the predefined kind of structure? Or is the game actually like noticing where my headset is or where I am? Um, so it was a little bit off, but um, I could see a game like this being a lot of fun, but this wasn't it. Yeah, I, I could see how they could do um, like a few more of the, what they didn't even focus on at all was like the immersive experience of like, it would be interesting to be in the middle of a heavyweight ring in a massive big auditorium with this the sense of scale of like how far people are up watching and the giant screen. But none of that was here. It just kind of felt like the first training you're like in this dingy gym and then I barely even remember the full environment so it just it didn't it didn't really take advantage I feel like of what VR could do which yeah I think I would have been more forgiving of the gameplay if it actually like felt like I was in Madison Square Garden or somewhere cool like that Well oddly enough the toyish sort of the toyish version of boxing in VR that we played uh in the Vive I don't remember the name of the game it was one of those sort of sampler games where you have ridiculous looking you know big bully guys and they're all looking cartoonish uh, and you can you know, sort of really punch and then grab their leg and use them to you know smack the other guy that was so much more interactive and when I grab something it really feels like I you know grabbed it quickly and uh, on the spot and it was um, the crowd even around that ring was more engaging and you had other stuff and it that felt like the on-point sort of boxing-ish, uh, absurd but fun game to interact with. That was awesome. Absolutely. So I, I would actually give that one a thumbs down. I would pass on Knockout. Yeah, no no need to try it. Um, and then we went on, well, then I went on. I was pretty dead set on doing The Wire, which was more... The Walk. Less, or the, the Walk, yeah. Um, which was a, an experience less than a game, per se, about... Um, Boy, I'm forgetting his name right now. But the guy that walked between the Twin Towers in like the 70s and there's been... Yeah, the French guy. Yeah, the French guy who there was the documentary on and then the uh, movie by uh, Robert Zemeckis last year. And this was one where it was like really close to being amazing. Um, there were just a few little limitations I feel like had they been able to change would have made it like really, really something awesome. But this was a cool one where they did involve more tactile. So they didn't actually, I don't think he was doing it with me, but we saw a few of the the employees actually fanning people with a piece of cardboard to like get some airflow, which I thought was pretty, 
pretty old school but cool. Yeah. But then what they had was since he he uh, high wire walked between these two buildings very high up, is they just put a very simple, um, I think like a cord runner down the middle of the carpet, like one of those rubber things that covers a cord, slightly elevated, but not very much, like almost nothing more than a bump. But enough that like you, to stand on it still like requires adjusting the foot, I guess I should say. And this was one where, yeah, I think I just started kind of giggling as soon as I put on the headset. Um, again, the graphics weren't too amazing, but they were good enough. And then the experience, I was amazed at how fast my body um, played along, I should say. Because that there I was stepping on a cord, which is actually basically just on the ground. But I still had my arms out and was like adjusting my weight immediately, trying to stay on this cord. Uh, and that to me was a huge win. That's remarkable. That's just a little bump to add under your foot and it still gets your brain to react to it. Involved one more sense and I felt my heartbeat quicken a little bit and kind of looking down and really getting the sense of, oh my God, this guy was fucking insane. <laughs> <laughs> they should totally had uh, a stick to give you to sort of walk with and try to balance because maybe the uh, weight of it and the sort of feeling of gravity in your hands as well. Yeah would add to it even more. Throw in a fan in the ceiling and you're good to go. And this is one that I, I don't remember actually the distance he walked in between, but I think it was a couple hundred feet between the two buildings as far as I know. And the, they had maybe a 10 foot radius I could walk. So very quickly, unfortunately, I got to the end of where I could walk, which did pretty much instantly shatter the illusion. Um, this is one I could see being like an amazing full installation somewhere where you actually you know in a gymnasium or something could do a full like 100 foot walk and could feel the tension of like how long it would actually take to get across and have that element um yeah really amazing yeah that would require a lot more setup but it could make it really something something else and i can see how they can put these i think you you had the idea of put some of these in movie theaters uh, for we, people waiting for the next movie or once they're done with the movie to have a more interactive experience. That would be amazing. Totally. This would be the perfect kind of thing they could have done in one of the hallways to a theater or something. You know, it'd be, it'd be a hoot. Yeah, and the, and the walk, actually, this, what was beautiful about it is this is a VR movie tie-in that is perfectly on point, very legitimate, and really is worth the effort. Not just randomly shooting at people. It's supposed to be like a shooting game, like a shooting movie. But this, you're feeling like you're walking on it. The environment is exactly the same. It makes perfect sense. So I, I love that. And they even pulled um, some narration from him. So you actually hear his voice oh, reading nice. some of his poetry in the beginning and, and the end of the experience about like what it was like. So th that's one I would definitely give total thumbs up to. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. You seem to have really enjoyed that one. I, I loved it. <laughs> awesome. And I, I want to see more of these experience type of things which are not games per se in fact i've like i've told you i would love a you know let me participate in scenes from a, from movies whether it's walking in pandora from avatar uh, which would be incredible don't you don't need i don't need to shoot anything i really i just want to be there uh or be in the pod in contact when she's launched into space or hyperspace or something and just see all the galaxies floating by. I mean, things like that would really uh, be unique and incredible for VR, especially as the resolutions gets better and immersion in different ways gets better. That would be incredible. Totally. And um, I'm hoping more people are planning ahead with some of the upcoming films to be able to do that, which is, uh, yeah, fingers crossed that they don't just keep putting out <laughs> yeah. kind of schlock. Yeah, skip skip the gimmick just to say that you've did, done something and you have a unique, you know, just like saying, oh, I, we added 3D or a moving chair or something. Um, do something that actually kind of the experience is something different than a replication of the film in some basic way or, or just a, another game that could be anything else for that matter. And I did want to mention that, again, it was interesting to see the integration of more technology in it because there was another experience where there is a chair that's moving and shaking. We didn't do that one, the rabbits, something. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting because I I despise the 4D movies 
where you're in a chair that squirts you in the face when there's a sneeze or shakes when you're moving. That's not the kind of immersion I'm looking for. But with VR, that actually makes sense where they've done uh, the VR combo with uh, the, um, the roller coaster. Yes. Really cool. Uh, so those kinds of things are interesting. The integration with Subpack makes perfect sense. This sort of backpack that uh, transmits you know, the bass and kind of um, uh, pulse to your back with different interactions. When the, in Tatooine, I think when the um, um, Millennium Falcon kind of comes yeah. down, you really feel the shaking in your back and that was the most pronounced and felt most uh, fitting for the experience. That was great. Um, audio in, in the uh, Eagle's Flight, as soon as they put the headset on, the headphones on, you really kind of fully get into the environment. It's great. Uh, yeah, that, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was the thing I remember thinking with Eagle Flight was like, wow, the visuals were important, but it was really the audio that like sealed the environment for yeah. me. That I was like, oh yeah, now it actually feels like I'm somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. So all in all, there's a lot to love. And I love, again, the IMAX sort of environment and setup and the comfort in there. Um, there's definitely a lot to improve. But I'm encouraged by this. I'm glad they're trying it. I'm glad they've set it up. And maybe they can work out some of the kinks. Maybe they can figure out the right pricing and improve uh, the time of experiences and what experiences they offer. I would want it to feel less demo-ish. Uh, yeah. almost, it's almost like, oh, here, try these demos, get hooked on VR, and then maybe go buy a headset for home. No, you want people yeah. to come in again on a regular basis, uh, especially people who can't necessarily afford a $1,000 computer plus $800 setup, I would definitely you know, go on a regular basis if it, if it feels like it's worth it or it's fun enough, especially the multiplayer and stuff like that. Yeah, I feel like they have a trick of, it feels like at least a few of the games we played, like you said, we're going to be, we're almost just pieces of a bigger game, which works. Theoretically, those are the kind of games you could get really into at home when you can play for 25 minutes, take a break, come back to it, keep perfecting the mechanic. But it doesn't work so well, I think, for like a drop-in experience. And it almost seems like they need to create some more, um, in, in some ways, like iOS kind of mobile games that are just instantly fun and very intuitive to figure out from like the second you open the app, it's just like, oh, this is what I'm doing. Like, this is what I'm doing. Um, and it didn't... No barrier to entry. Yeah, it didn't feel like they had a lot of those where if you spend half of your experience just kind of figuring it all out, and then it's just like, eh, I, you know, I don't necessarily... And not a whole lot of them even felt like they had much replayability other than Eagle Flight to me, which, you know, it's about the the fun of the chase and all that. So you could play that over and over and over. So that, that's the one I feel like cracked it probably the most. Um, and I guess what I... I'd love that IMAX is doing this. I think it's a very encouraging sign um, that they're kind of making a boutique VR environment because, you know, the barrier to entry is still pretty huge. Uh, and it is one of those things you just have to experience. I would say, I guess what I find somewhat discouraging is if this is apparently the cream of the crop stuff right now, I'm like, Oh wait, I, you know, I really want to buy a headset this year, but I'm like, what, what's even worth doing on it yet? Other than tilt brush, which that alone may still, you know, yeah. Settle me, but it is a little discouraging that it's like uh, maybe there's some games coming or something, but it does feel like everything's mostly still technology demos. Yeah, definitely. I would totally buy the Tilt Brush uh, console, <laughs> in a sense, uh, the Tilt Brush device, but I am hoping that there is more, uh, more coming in the pipeline that's really going to make a difference. And of course, when you're at home and you have all the time in the world, you can really get immersed in something far more if the experiences are not five 15-minute demos kind of thing. And, and it's interesting to think even um, that there may still be a divergence even as this medium evolves between, like I think there are some experiences that will be doable at home, more like Eagle Flight, kind of where you're more static, tilt brush, um, some of the kind of more pre-programmed on Rails journeys we had done earlier at, at the VRLA. But like all the embodiment stuff to me still feels kind of, it's just not there. Like, you know, you can, I quickly feel the limitation of walking through a room when you can only go so many feet this way and that way. Um, 
So, you know, one of the things we were chatting about yesterday, though, is something you can't do at home, but you can do in a big commercial environment is actually create experiences that are physically mapped to the environment you're in. Like, yeah. um, which you, the were, void, yeah. you were talking about the void, um, even the wire with having the rug thing there, I think is an example of something they could do. And, you know, the first thing I thought of when we played John Wick was like, oh my God, it'd be amazing if someone set up a whole like uh, laser tag facility, but the, when the headsets get small enough and it's like, yeah, there's still stairs you can run up and down and it'd be very interesting. I don't know quite how it'll work yet, but uh, it feels like those environments, some of the most amazing stuff might happen. Um, yeah. Yeah. That would be amazing. And those are the kinds of experiments I'm, I'm intrigued by and, and uh, optimistic about for sure. But that said, I think the thing that's got me most jazzed up isn't the games, isn't the movies in VR, but it is more of these just like therapeutic state experiences that seem like they're working mostly from the get-go of the feeling yeah. of just being underwater and seeing something and relaxing or painting in 3D. Um, you know, and I'm very excited to see just what other kind of environment like we were talking about I, <laughs> I thought one good use would be like vr napping like could be just amazing like to take a nap underwater to take a nap on the savanna next to a river like where you're actually still drifting and out of consciousness but like could open your eyes and look around and see scenery or just sit and meditate or paint on top of a mountain or who knows yeah i mean there's a med uh, meditation vr by uh this group called cubicle ninjas that uh, our friend vincent horn has collaborated with uh, I think there's huge potential for just environments that change your state and, you know, napping, I think is brilliant, <laughs> actually. It's, it's great. Um, so there's a lot to look forward to. I'm, I'm still, I'm still uh, excited. Yeah, so, so things, definitely cool things still yet to come. And we'll be uh, reporting from the front lines as often as we can with new VR experiences. Exactly. It's been uh, fun having the experience with you and then talking about it. So I look forward to the next time. Yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for playing along. Awesome. Ciao. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can find the links and show notes at lastturtle.com. And if you'd like to support this podcast, you can do it in one of a variety of ways. You can leave a nice review on iTunes. You can share this podcast and this episode with other people on social media and if you're up for it you can go to lastturtle.com support and you can support this podcast with as little as a dollar per episode which would be amazing until next time thanks for listening